last couple weeks, maybe three or four weeks. Raise your hand. Come on now. Okay, a couple of you. We have a large crew over at um, Bryn Mawr in uh, Pennsylvania, I believe. Uh, the Awakening Group are, have been down there, I think, since Saturday afternoonish time. Um, they went to uh, interface with the students down there. They had a prayer rally or some kind of worship gathering on campus, so we are going to look forward to hearing from them as they come back, but there's, uh, I think there's about a little over 20 of them. They headed down in two vans and, and just brought the presence of God with them, so we're excited to get them back here to hear about what happened over there at Bryn Mawr. But if you've been here for the uh, last three or four um, Sundays, we've been kind of following the theme of Lent, right? It's appropriate, it's apropos, as uh, uh, my good friend Christian would say, uh, given that... <laughs> You're laughing, that's good. Um, But it's important, and it's been impactful to my life uh, specifically. Um, I have often been one that's kind of sneered and "Mm, traditions, I don't know, Christians' traditions kind of just, they don't sit right. You know, I looked at Jesus as kind of against traditions, you know, he's like the man against the system, so to speak. Um, But this one... um, my lovely wife got to um, be used by God to humble me a little bit about traditions and this specific tra- tradition that we celebrate and we practice um, in Lent, and it's been um, deeply moving. And m- for the majority, our sermons for the last three to four Sundays have been gospel-centered, and we're going to continue that narrative all the way until Easter and hopefully throughout our existence, you know, um, we're believing that God will take us or make us, if you would, a gospel-centered people, you know. Um, so in thought, following the theme, we're going to be talking about the unusual yet profound responses to the gospel in the Bible. The unusual yet profound responses to the gospel. Um, if you were here last Sunday, we talked about a man named Nicodemus who was a religious leader, a Pharisee, right? He was a pretty prominent, um, noticed, respected man. Um, he has kind of a conversation with Jesus at night. Um, most people think that uh, the motives that Nicodemus had were genuine. They were sincere. Others feel as though he was sarcastic, a little bit abrasive, and even mocking the Son of God But um, whatever it is, Nicodemus decides to have a kind of midnight conversation with Jesus, two prominent figures at the time, right? Jesus is this rebel, this Hebrew man, you know, walking through like John the Baptist, just upsetting the system everywhere he goes, everywhere he turns. He is just overturning tables, healing the sick, raising the dead. And the religious leaders are like, who is this man? And so Nicodemus has a midnight conversation with Jesus. And interestingly enough, he starts off the conversation by affirming Jesus. He affirms him and says, you know, we, he doesn't say I, but he uses the word we, over at the Sanhedrin, uh, have have come to realize that you are certainly a man from God. Um, The logic is that these religious leaders... um, would find it hard to believe that Jesus could actually have the authority that he had, perform the miracles that he did, and not be from God. It would be ludicrous. But these are the same people who essentially hung Jesus on a cross or tried Jesus to his death. But, but Nicodemus starts 
off by affirming and actually praising Jesus and affirming his ministry. And you know what's awesome about Jesus? He doesn't play the card. You know, he doesn't do the 2017 pastor thing where it's like, yeah, man, we are doing pretty good. Glad you boys finally get it, you know, over at the pastor's club, you know. Yeah, 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 Hilltop, man, we're, we're rocking it. We're a rocking church. He doesn't do that. He immediately goes into preaching the gospel to Nicodemus. And he holds to, he never diverts, he never steers away. He, he just holds to, and he says, in Nicodemus, as I'm sure in his mind, they're ludicrous statements. Because here is Nicodemus, a, an astute uh, teacher, a man who knows the Old Testament, a man who follow, probably, most likely, follows the train of thought that just to be born a Jew means you're born into the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 nobody can get into the kingdom. Nobody can see God unless that person has been born again. And Nicodemus starts talking all sorts of weird stuff where he's like, well, what do I got to do? I got to crawl back in the womb of, you know, that's pretty gnarly. But yeah, it's a logical question, right? But Jesus holds to preaching the gospel, never buys or takes the bait of Nicodemus's affirmation. He just calls to and preaches the gospel to Nicodemus, an educated um, teacher, a prominent figure, uh, a man who has given his life to knowing the Old Testament in and out and teaching the Old Testament, and that other Jews look to him to gain knowledge. And here Jesus is saying, now you can't see the kingdom of God. And I'm sure Nicodemus is a bit offended at those comments, specifically if he believes that just being born a Jew means he's born into the kingdom. But one thing we landed on is um, just how Jesus doesn't uh, take you know, uh, another route to try to make uh, enticing the words that he's saying and try to maybe lure uh, Nicodemus' heart in through some kind of intellectual, you know, something that he can relate to. He says some offensive things, but he stays within uh, the route of preaching the gospel never defers. That's, that's important. That is important to, to note. And although that we don't see the immediate fruit of Nicodemus's transformation, later in Scripture, we see that. Um, let me see if I can find it in my notes. I want to make sure I get it right. Um, now, it's said later in Scripture that Nicodemus advises his colleagues in the Sanhedrin, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees, he, he advises them to hear Jesus and investigate him before making a judgment concerning Christ. Um, but their mocking response argues that certainly no prophet could ever come from Galilee. That's even the cool thing about, you know, Jesus. He just comes from a town that nobody respects, nobody loves, nobody, uh, nothing special could come out of there. God is brilliant. And then finally, uh, when Jesus is buried, Nicodemus is believed to have uh, brought a mixture of mirth and aloes, about 100, percent, 100 pounds, excuse me, some scholars say, embalming Jesus' body, um, According to Jewish customs, nobody would do it for Christ, but Nicodemus does. And it's said that um, the amount of ointments that Nicodemus brought 
were, um, were, were even more exaggerated than that for a royal king or somebody of, of royalty. So we don't necessarily see line upon line the transformation that happened in Nicodemus' heart. Certainly in this conversation, we don't see it. But later in the scriptures, we see that, G- that Nicodemus definitely warmed even more so to the gospel. Maybe even he received it in his own heart. And Nicodemus would not just be the only one that responded to the gospel or responded to Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Um, let's take another look at uh, another person you may know of her. Her name is Mary Magdalene. How many know Mary Magdalene? Raise your hand. Okay, now if you've been watching Da Vinci Code, let's not go there, okay? Um, <laughs> Mary is a distinguished figure. Uh, she's distinguished from all the other. Have you ever known that a lot of girls? Uh, but she's distinguished by her, her last name, Magdalene, right? Um, this simply identifies her with her place of birth. You know, much, much like they said, uh, uh, Jesus the Nazarene, because he's, uh, his birthplace was associated with Nazareth. Uh, that's where we get kind of... Uh, the stand out amongst the other Marys and Mary Magdalene. Um, in Christ's time, there was a thriving populous town off the coast of Galilee, and I did not, I read this, so I'm just reading it to you, but it's interesting, because it really is going to uh, point, and we're really going to be able to see the life of Mary in ways that I don't think we've seen before, I, at least I hope. But um, in the time of Christ, there was a thriving populous town in the coast of Gal- Galilee about three miles from Capernaum. Dye works and primitive textile factories added to the wealth of this community. And it's believed that Mary Magdalene had some kind of association with this particular town. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look in the scriptures, Mary Magdalene Magdalene hung with Jesus quite a bit. It's clear uh, in scripture that she was able to be freed up uh, from any, um, you know, job obligations um, any uh, family obligations, as though uh, in Scripture that's not even alluded to. We don't know who her family is. We don't know if she's married or has any children. It doesn't say. But in some sense, because of her devout uh, following of Christ, um, she was freed up to uh, do such. And she wasn't weighted down. For all you single people out there that are a little jaded because you're not married yet, listen, there's hope. Give Jesus all your heart. Devote yourself. You'll be able to do things in your life right now that some of us who are married with kids can't. And Mary's like this. There's no record of Mary's family, her marital status, nor her age. But it's clear in the scriptures that she's freed to follow Jesus in his ministry. This would suggest that she has no home obligations um, before we outline, and this is important, the life and character of Mary, I want to disassociate myself um, with those who connect this woman, Mary, to the woman who is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke as the sinful woman. Uh, most people do. Most people believe that Mary was that girl that Luke mentioned, but it, there is no genuine evidence in Scripture that even comes near that conclusion. In no way do I believe that Mary was that sinful woman. I also don't believe that Mary was a prostitute, nor was she the wife or the lover of Jesus. Okay, Da Vinci Code, let's just, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates this. And 
this is why we need to look to Scripture, because Mary is actually mentioned 14 times in the Gospel. And from these references, we can exactly see what she did, how she did, and when she did it. Um, There's a striking feature in eight of the 14 passages, and that is that the name Mary is in connection with other women, as we mentioned earlier. But she always heeds the top of the list of these women, meaning she held some place of Uh, specialness or maybe ministry where she was always kind of highlighted as a prominent figure within the ranks, if you would, not that I believe that they existed, but if you wanted to categorize it as that, it would seem that Mary Magdalene held a very special place for all you women and ministry people in the ministry of Jesus. Um, And the five other times she's mentioned in the scriptures, she's alone. We know this in uh, the connection with the death and resurrection of Christ. She's actually, I believe, the first one who uh, the angel appears to at Jesus' resurrection. She's actually the first one who shares the gospel with cowardly men hanging out in an upper room. Ah, How about that for women in ministry? And in the last place, she comes up, uh, it's after the mother and aunt of Jesus is mentioned at the cross. It's fitting that she doesn't head the, the, the top of the list there because, you know, Mary's mother, I mean, Jesus' mother and aunt should come first simply uh, because they're family. Um, but no woman, listen up, no woman superseded Mary in her utter devotion to Jesus. There's not any figure that comes close to the extraordinary devotion to Christ like Mary Magdalene. Again, we see clearly the devotion Mary embodied and had towards Jesus. And we should very much allow it to touch places within our own hearts where we lack this type of devotion to Christ. We should look at Mary in this way. See, We're not only trying to get a picture of the transformational power of the gospel. We're we're trying to look at the fruit of those or that transformation. And one of the fruits you can see in Mary's life, again, not to repeat myself as I will, but I'm going to, is her radical devotion to Christ. Do you know that it's said that most women who follow Jesus were some of the biggest uh, supporting uh, structure or system to Jesus' ministry. And I'm not just talking about making meals and cleaning robes. I'm talking about they financially sowed into the ministry of uh, uh, Jesus more than any other disciple. So Mary uh, loved Jesus. She was recklessly devoted to him. Now, We have to understand there's a reason for this, and that's because Mary was forgiven so much. The the records that we see in Scripture in the Gospel of Luke is so limited when it comes to Mary, but we find out that actually Mary was possessed by seven demons. I don't know about you, but one would have been enough. You can turn to Luke 8. I I actually don't because I I don't know where my phone is, and that's what I was going to read it from. 
But it's, it's believed that Mary suffered from periodic uh, insanity. And there's no uh, clear, explicit passage within the Bible that alludes that this affected the morality of Mary. Thank you, honey. Luke 8 says this in verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village. He preached, he preached and he brought the word, glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene out I'm sorry, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And so that is the only account within Scripture that gives us any kind of, um, any kind of inkling about what Mary suffered. And but, but again, I want to just highlight, because most people will immediately attach Mary to uh, 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 being a prostitute, and there is nothing within Scripture that warrants that. It's believed by many scholars that Mary simply suffered from periodic insanity. And, 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 and somehow through that, maybe it was the loss of a loved one. It was a broken relationship. We don't know. But whatever, there was deep sadness within Mary's heart that demons were able to placate upon that sadness and oppress her and consume her. Seven is a mystic number, right? Right? Suggesting completeness, implying that when Mary's spirits dominated her, her suffering, suffering excuse me, was extremely severe. Some of us can relate to that, can't we? Afflicted with nervousness, it's believed that she uh, may have been the victim of violent epilepsy. And when Jesus saw her with her peace of mind, and her control and her will destroyed. He was filled with compassion. And he laid hands and cast those demons out. And now Mary's only response, only fitting response, is to devote her life completely to following this man. We're not told exactly I say like we're not told, like I'm some kind of scholarly man, but it's not exactly known, I'll say that, um, what the cause of Mary's uh, demonic possession was the fruit of. But this we do know, those seven demons met Jesus and they came out of her as the one who came to destroy the works of the devil prayed for her. Luke uh, links Mary with many others who were healed of evil spirits. It's even in this passage that we read, and infirmities by Jesus. So now Mary clothed in her right mind, she was ready to become one of the most devoted women, the disciples of Jesus. One of the de most devoted women, a, a disciple of Jesus, because she owed so much to this man who delivered her. Mary left her home to follow Jesus. And some of us can't even leave our boyfriend or girlfriend, or some of us can't even sacrifice our money, but we see this extraordinary um, 
bend in Mary to forsake all, to really live out Christianity in a way that is a bit foreign in today's Christian climate. You know, when Jesus touches your life, again, the only correct response should be say, should, we should have is, Jesus, I want to devote myself to you. I want, I want to forsake all. Jesus said that himself. You got to pick up your cross daily and, and follow me. We see this in the life of Mary. We're in awe about the power that was displayed as Jesus prayed and delivered her. But yet, we should be just as much, if not more, in awe at the devotion that Mary displayed towards Christ. And in this way, we should mimic or mirror that devotion in our own lives. I mean, if you've been touched, come on, raise your hand if Christ has touched you in a significant way. I know I was possessed. I know I was one time that person who was demonically uh, consumed and, and, and led, and, and Jesus touched me. And what did I do? I did what it's appropriate to do, what we should all do. I devoted my life to him. And I follow him in a manner that displays my gratitude. Where nothing, nothing, everything I should say pales in comparison. The little that I have to give up is so worth it. You know, Jesus actually believes that he's worthy. You know, when we sing those songs, you're worthy of it all. You know, we're the ones that need to be convinced. But Jesus, he's convinced. And I can't help but think that sometimes I sing words without my life. I preach words without my life just coming in line with those truths. But when Jesus hears those words, he's not saying, well, you know, I'm worth this and this and this. But you, you can hold on to this and this and this. When he's saying, no, I am worth it all. And he actually believes it. And it's us who needs the convincing. But you know what? Mary is convinced. She's convinced. It's us who need the pump. Are you really worth it, Jesus? We kind of set up this, 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 this metric, if you would, of, uh, or, or these, this, this document where we have a line down the middle and say, this, this, and this, Christ, you can have, but this and this and this is mine. I'm going to hold on to that. Not that we verbalize those things to Christ, but we surely, if you're anything like me, live in a manner that displays that kind of behavior. But Jesus is worth it all. Let me say that again. Friend, Jesus is worth it all. He's worth more than your education. He's worth more, dare I say, than your marriage, than your children. <gasps> He's worth more than your aspirations to be the next uh, Hollywood star or millionaire. He is worth more than that. I love what Francis Chan once said. He, he had this big, long rope. It was probably about a 30-foot rope. And he marked off just like an inch of it with red tape on one end. And he's like, he's like we have all 
this time, you know, to spend with Christ in eternity. And he starts going through the rope. And we have, we have this little time right here. This, um, I, I don't got my rope, but if this was my tape. We have this little time on this side of eternity to actually grasp and fully understand the worthiness of Christ that our lives would live in such a manner that attests us. I mean, some say that you may get 80 to 90 years. That's short, very short in light of eternity, friends. See, Mary's life is touched, and there's no second issues. Now, the course of life should still play out. you got to work. You gotta, i got to be a father to my son. But anything that comes before Christ is an idol. Everything that would come before Christ in my life. I've literally said, rather, if I verbalized it or not, I've said this right here is more important. This right here, I value. I think is more worthy than you, Jesus. I mean, don't even go there, right? Isaac takes, I'm sorry, Isaac and Jacob, right? Abraham and Isaac, sorry, what am I doing? He takes his son up to the mountain, right? Because God tells him, yeah, never mind, but God is worthy, and he is not the one that needs to be convinced of just how much he is worth. And Mary's life displays this behavior. It displays this where she has utterly and completely devoted to Jesus. And it shows up primarily in the way that she finances his ministry. I know we don't like to talk about money in the church, and we talk very little about it here at Hilltop. But Mary's one way, or some of the many ways, or a couple ways that she shows this devotion is with her money and her time. And so the gospel, I can say, makes us generous people, doesn't it? it makes us a generous people. It makes us unavailable people. Come on, we shouldn't have a problem getting seven more people to help out here at Hilltop Church to make sure April goes off without a hook. You know, oftentimes when we get into the drudgery of setup, and I mean, it, it, it goes fast. There's a lot of moving parts, and I can lose the plot very quickly. But you know what? I gather my team up and say, guys, you know what we're doing this for? We're doing this because Jesus is worthy. We're not doing it just to have our... Half an hour of like, yeah, listen to me, play my chords and sing my songs. We're looking to give and lift the name of Jesus and to give him praise. That men's heart might be drawn unto him. What better way to rightly just um, think about service? My service today for this church is not necessarily just for this church, but it's for a man. It's for a man who loves the church. His name is Jesus. And it was somehow in his mind to create all over the world places like this that would gather and lift his name up and do community. So that, for me, rightly puts in play and place why we do what we do. So Mary is available Come on, some of you guys just need to get more available for Jesus. 
I know you're, you're all looking at me getting all hot and even, I can't believe it. But, but seriously, we carve out so little of our time for the things of God and so much for other things that are empty. They're empty and without meaning. So Mary, in a very unusual yet profound way, is recklessly devoted to Jesus with her time and her finances. One of the, the biggest supporters to Jesus' ministry is believed to be Mary Magdalene. It might have been a result of the, uh, the town that she was from and the connections that she had. Maybe her parents were wealthy, but she contributed with other ladies. But probably at the head of the class would be Mary Magdalene. She contributed extraordinary finances to the ministry of Jesus. Generosity and availability, I think, are two things that the church needs the most. You know, we pray for revival a lot, but you know when I'll actually start getting hopeful about revival is when the church becomes a generous church. Come on, you know it's believed that only, about, I think about 10% of the church actually carries the church financially? That is a, that is a, that is, that's an indictment against the church. Do you know it's said that only 8% of the church actually does the, the mechanics in the work? That means there is a huge percent that, is, that it falls on the backs of just a small number. doesn't need to be. We need to glean this from Mary's life. Availability and generosity. This isn't a plea for more finances to come into Hilltop. God will take care of that. This is more of a plea to get our finances in order and be a generous believer. So, if you're familiar with the story about actually the woman who um, was at Simeon's house, the Pharisee who washed the feet of Jesus... Um, now, this isn't the same woman who anointed Jesus before his death. This is the evil woman who um, was believed to be a prostitute, where the Pharisee, uh, Simeon, said, if you know who this woman was, you would not let her wash your feet. You know, Jesus says something um, today that I think is appropriate for us in the church. Um, he said that, you know, Simeon, I've come here, and you've done nothing for me. You didn't think once to offer me, um, you know, to offer to clean my feet because I just tracked here through the dirt, the dust. And you didn't think to offer me food and, and, and water for my journey. But this woman has come and uh, she has essentially done this great act and met some of my needs. And today, guys, I feel as though that we're, we're either like Simeon the Pharisee who invites Jesus into our home and gives him nothing? Are you like the woman who has been forgiven so much that the only appropriate response would be to love him so well and devote your life, your everything to him? I can't help but think that there's many times that I, I have felt Christ in this kind of 
shell of a home. <laughs> it's a large home. It's got some additions, and you know, we're expanding on the back here. But, <laughs> but I often think that I, I am a type of Simeon, where I know that there's times Christ is requiring things of me and asking things of me, but I'm unwilling to give him essentially anything. And we don't see this in lives that were touched by Jesus, by the gospel. Actually, we see the opposite. And my hope for Hilltop Church is that we would become a people like Mary Magdalene, who went to extraordinary measures, you know. We lived a risky life, not playing it safe and just... just just living for today or living for this and living for that, but that we would become a people who so empty ourselves of our possession, empty ourselves of our names and what we think we're due or our, our rights, and we give to him completely and fully that which he deserves. And that which actually attests to his worthiness. You know, sometimes we're just so cheap with Jesus, aren't we? <laughs> I, listen, I'm preaching to myself right now. But sometimes we just, it's kind of like, oh, Jesus, you can have the scraps. <laughs> but this main dish is for me. And Jesus is convinced that he is worth so much more. And you know what? The only person that misses out is you and me. Because when you actually connect and your life is deeply affected by the worthiness of Christ, oh, there is extraordinary joys and pleasures that come from his right hand like no other. It's, it's actually an extraordinary thing to live a life of faith. I don't care if you're in the ministry of not, you know, ministry or not. Some people a tag with just, uh, you know, people who are in full-time ministry were like, oh, they're just living in faith. You know what, as believers, I don't care if you're in the workplace or the church place. You're all called to live with an extraordinary faith, trusting God and not man. And so that's my attempt at pulling out the devotion and the generosity to major components or responses to the gospel. We're going to take communion. What I want to do is, um, we've been doing this every Sunday um, since the start of Lent, and we're going to continue. Um, if I can have a couple guys just take this table while they may bring this one over. Thank you, friends. But I ask my good friend Daniela to come on up. Thank you, Christian and David. She's going to lead us through communion. Oh, never mind, guys. I'm sorry. I'm confused. That's all right. We'll keep, oh, th- nope. Sorry. you go. <laughs> just confused. Sorry. No, go, 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 go. <laughs> all righty. Thank you, John. Thank you, Herrera. Um, if you would just turn your ears on and your minds on to the words here that Danielle speaks. Good morning. Uh, my name is Daniela, and I'm going to be leading us through communion this morning. 
Um, I want to read from a passage that is very familiar to us. I think as we head into communion, we kind of know what to expect. Someone's going to say something, and then we're going to eat something. But I think um, I just encourage you to listen to what I'm sharing today. I feel like God is highlighting a few things uh, on my heart for you. So I'm actually going to read from Luke chapter 22nd, verse 14 through 20. And I am, if you can project that, that would be awesome. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I often like to think about what Jesus was feeling in this moment. It's the eve of his crucifixion. In a few hours, Judas is going to betray him. And I think it's clear from verse uh, 15 that he, he knows what is coming. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's not surprised. He knows exactly what's happening. And in fact, he's having this Passover because Passover is the next day. He knows that by the time the real Passover will come, he will have already offered, offered up his body for us on the cross. And another thing that really stuck out to me in verse 15 is just, it's just these four words, uh, which I'd never thought about before. But he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And in the Hebrew, I have earnestly desire. It actually means I have desired with desire, just like he says, dying you shall surely die, or I, I long for you with jealous jealousy. It's, it's an expression of intensity, and the ESV translates, translates it as earnestly. I have earnestly desired to eat this with you. And I think that in these last moments on earth, what Jesus is saying is that he is filled with desire. And Pastor Daryl has talked to us a lot about Mary Magdalene and her devotion to Christ, but I think here we see his devotion for us. And he, he tells us that he's longed for this meal and that's, that's so interesting to me. Why does he long for this meal? Perhaps he's excited to have one last chance to, to have intimate fellowship and communion with his closest disciples. But I think that he's actually looking beyond that moment. I think of um, Isaiah 53 where he says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. Or of Hebrews 12, 12 where it says, For the joy set before him he endured the cross. And I think in that moment, as he's breaking the bread, Jesus is actually filled with desire for us. I think he's looking beyond the cross and beyond this immediate meal, and he is thinking of us. And in verse 18, it says, um, it's actually the Matthew 26 translation, but it says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. And I think when I read that, it really stuck out to me that in that moment, he is thinking of drinking it once again with us. And then he says, in my father's kingdom. 
And once again, just thinking about that devotion, I think what he's actually thinking is uh, about, it's is a moment that is described in Revelation 19.7, where it says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. As he shares his last meal with his disciples and he establishes the Lord's Supper for us, I think, or I believe based on the scripture that Jesus is filled with desire And he is thinking of that day when he will have another supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will, like he says, when I drink it new with you, where we will drink with him again. um, And we will be united in ultimate communion and ultimate fellowship. So this morning, as we come up in a few moments, I invite you to think about that, to think of Jesus' desire for you, of his desire to have communion and fellowship with you. And even now, He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So we're going to take communion in a moment. And as you come up, I encourage you to think about that. Think about Jesus' earnest desire for you and his longing for this fellowship and this communion with you. So we're going to come up. I'm going to ask that um, we stand. We're going to have two rows. We'll start with the first.